Hello and welcome to episode 143 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Vienna, Virginia. I'm Ben Olson and with me in Los Angeles is Nathan Fox. Nathan, uh, I seem to remember you going to a lot of movies this weekend. Uh, I have seen a bunch of movies, yeah. I saw RBG yesterday. Um, the listeners really ought to watch RBG. How come? What makes it um, so good? Well, I mean, you're trying to be a lawyer, mm-hmm. right? If you're a listener of the show, <laughs> would you like to learn about one of the badass lawyers, most badass lawyers of all time? She's just incredible. You know, I didn't really know that much about her life and her history and whatnot, but uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is pretty incredible, and I think the listeners should find it um, you know, inspirational. Motivating. Yeah. Yeah. What did she do before she went to the Supreme Court? I'm sure a lot, but anything in particular? Well, she was just a badass lawyer. I mean, basically a civil rights lawyer. She was one of the first uh, women. Well, I don't know about one of the first, but she was at Harvard Law School when there were nine women in a class of 535. Holy smokes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and all sorts of, she faced all sorts of discrimination while she was there. And, um, she was just amazing. She was married and had a, a child while she was at like one L hmm. at Harvard and her husband had these major medical issues. So she was taking care of like a one year old, um, and her ailing husband and making law review as a one L at Harvard while she was only one of nine out of 535 women. Holy smokes. And, um, yeah, she just like basically doesn't sleep. Uh, works till 4 a.m. And uh, she's just a killer. You know, she's super passionate. She, she's Her personality, she's really, really quiet. She's very reserved and just, you know, sort of shy. Mm-hmm. But um, in her writing and <laughs> her advocacy, she's nothing uh, nothing close to shy. Yeah. So really um, quite, quite, a, quite an inspiring hmm. movie. Yeah. All right. Well, today on the show, we got a lot of interesting stuff. Um, I guess we'll just start out with a quick update on our YouTube channel. Um, but well, before we go into that, we have, we have an email about an innovation from the LSEC at one of its June testing centers. Very exciting. Okay. News. Yep. We'll cool. Get into that. Um, and we have an email about what a very competitive applicant looks like at golden gate very competitive in quotes, whatever that means. Um, a typo from Stanford law school. I feel like there was more than one typo, right? Or just one? I can't remember. There was at least one. Hmm. Okay. And then we have another email about, do we ever disagree with an LSAT question? So do Nathan and I ever find, take issue with the test? Um, And quick reminder, our weekend class in New York City is coming up soon. It's going to be on July 14th and 15th. Uh, that's Saturday and Sunday. We'll get together the night before or that Friday night before on the 13th. So... If you can join us in New York City, sign up for the class. You can go to thinkinglsat.com, and you'll just see it in the right sidebar there. Uh, It's $395 and um, half the price of what it should be. (laughs) Yeah, and sooner you sign up, uh, you could make a case that it's worth a lot more than that. Sooner you sign up, uh, we will send you some materials and give you some homework to get you started. Uh, the homework's optional, but if you have a chance to do a little bit of reading before the class starts, you'll get more out of the class. So, um, yeah, please go to thinkinglsat.com and sign up. Yeah. And just have fun. It's going to be a fun time. So 
It is going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. It's been a while since I've been to New York. It'll be a good time. Cool. Uh, <clears throat> quick update on the Facebook group and things like that. I guess we have 500 members, exactly? 500 members, exactly. Hmm. All right. So if you're not a member of the Thinking LSAT podcast group on Facebook, go ahead and join and turn over all your you know, personal information to us, and we'll make sure that we distribute it to at least 500,000 other people. Um, <laughs> Zuckerberg's already going to do that. He's going to sell it all to the Russians. So well, despite being, did you hear the the argument that they are making this week about the release of information? So basically, if you have friends on, if you're connected to friends and you have Facebook on your phone and you delete it or something like that, other apps can access that information, and people were complaining about this even after you've deleted the Facebook app, and Facebook responded saying, well, you are responsible for the information that your friends have on their accounts because they're your friends. So you need to be careful (laughs) what apps are on your phone or something like that. I'm actually making the argument better than it was. But (laughs) um, in any case, well, okay, so join that group. Um, join the fun. This week they were talking about techniques for reducing anxiety as the test approaches. Yeah, just remember it's not a big deal. An asteroid could always hit us tomorrow. Uh, hopefully, yeah. Ho- if, all goes, ho- if all goes well. Hopefully an asteroid hits us tomorrow. Is that what you're saying? We'll be put out of our misery, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're miserable, Nathan? You're a happy no, man. Oh, uh, I'm actually delighted, yeah. I'm loving, <coughs> still loving the new neighborhood. So uh, I got the honeymoon period going for uh, Los Feliz. So yeah. I'll, be, I'll be happy for at least another three weeks. Yeah, and then it will. Then you'll you'll normalize, right? That's what all exactly. studies show. Doesn't matter Relativity. what you make. <laughs> That's right. Um, okay, so we have eighteen patrons on Patreon donating hundred and two every month. I feel like last time it was below hundred. Yep, it was 98. We, we got one more Sweet. patron and we got four more dollars. And we're still, uh, I think that does officially put us over the 10% of show expenses uh, being generated by our fans. So thanks a lot, everybody, for listening. We appreciate the support. Who was that person? Can we give them a kiss? Is that allowed? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, I don't know. You have to ask permission first. But uh, I don't know. Maybe num- patron number 18 will write into the show and you get a kiss. <laughs> virtual all right so you can always email us your questions at help at thinking um oh i should say that i want to give this update on our youtube channel so we created the youtube channel and started posting the episodes on there we don't have all of them on there obviously because it's just a lot of work and so we just started somewhere i can't remember where but it stunned me today that over 5,000, almost 6,000 minutes had been watched on our channel. So I guess people are consuming the podcast on YouTube. I guess that's a thing. Yeah, I, I'm, I would be curious to hear from listeners who are listening on YouTube. I would like to know why you're listening on YouTube instead of using a podcast app like a normal person. Um, that's a bit of a joke. But seriously, though, why are you doing that? And I, well, what I really want to know is, are you listening to full episodes or are you listening to clips or what? I'm trying to learn. I w- I'd like to know um, why. <laughs> why why YouTube and how is how are you using YouTube and is it better? Maybe it's better, Ben. 
Maybe it's better. Well, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking it's just a means of finding people. Don't you think? Like people who would not normally look in a podcast app or whatever, they're they're searching on YouTube and they find it and they just start listening and they normally yeah, wouldn't have thought yeah. to think of this venue. So they never would have. Yeah, if they're not podcast, really podcast listeners, and now they're getting converted. Maybe I should put it this way: Hey, YouTube listeners, um, there is an app on your phone for podcasts, and if you just get the podcast app, it'll just download to your phone automatically as soon as each episode is released. And I gotta think it's a better way of listening to podcasts than listening on YouTube. I would think, but uh, let me know. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Uh, also. If you didn't catch the last episode, and I hope you did, but if you didn't, uh, Nathan and I have started offering a personal statement review package. It is the, well, I think it's the best deal in the industry. For $995, Nathan will tell you whether your statement is on point, whether you're writing about the right things, and then I will review it for style and form and tone and those sort of things. So yeah, you get both of our inputs into your personal statement to make it stand out and polish your application. Do you have anything you want to add to that? No, I, uh, I look forward to doing that. I think that will be fun and I know that it's needed. I mean, the personal statements we look at are just kind of sad mostly. <laughs> so. they, they, they need a lot of help. And the thing is, is when you're done talking with someone, it's surprising how much different of a message it conveys in those two pages or one and yeah. a half pages. Such a different impression, right? It's like a first impression. It's going to stand out. Yeah. People just don't, people aren't good at talking about themselves, I guess. And they they try to get their friends and family to help, but your friends and family just don't know how to package you for law school. Well, the other problem is your friends and family are coming to the document with a knowledge of who you are. So they fill yeah, in gaps that's true. subconsciously without even realizing it. You really need someone just to read it. In fact, the less we know about you and if you just send us your first draft, we're just going to be like, oh, okay, well, that's an interesting first impression. Let's change it. Yeah, you need a pair of hypercritical strangers <laughs> to look at it with, you know, really to, we're going to rip the shit out of it. I mean, because, yeah, that's what strangers, I mean, that's how strangers are going to react to it. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not going to believe you, basically, Yep. It, uh, unless you give evidence, unless you're talking about the right things and you're delivering it the right way, a complete stranger is, what, why should they believe you? And uh, so, yeah, we promise we won't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> we promise to give you hell. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I know that's super enticing. So go to thinkingelset.com. You can sign up for that as well. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, is that all the updates? I think that's it, huh? Yeah, yeah. I think that's good. Cool. All right. Well, do you want to take this first email since this is from... Yeah, this is hyper recent, um, although it'll be a week from now when the episode comes out. But I got an email just this morning from a student of mine in San Francisco, and she, uh, sent, she forwarded along this email from LSAC. And it says, greetings from LSAC! Exclamation point. The testing location you have registered for will participate in an LSAC pilot program regarding test taker cell phones. While cell phones are still prohibited at all test centers, this pilot program will provide an option to test takers at your test center who have no alternative 
or may require the use of a phone before or after the test, parentheses, for example, to call a ride share service, end parentheses. <laughs> would you would you like to rewrite that sentence? <laughs> sure. I mean, we don't know the whole thing. <laughs> it's like, I, I like the caveat at the beginning of it. While cell phones are still prohibited at all test centers. Mm-hmm. Well, but except not yours, though. Yeah. Be- <laughs> all other test centers. Yeah. It, Jesus Christ. Um, okay. Continuing. This pilot program will allow you to store your powered off phone in a lockable case so that you can bring your cell phone into the test center, but cannot access it until the end of your test day. That's also a terribly written sentence. Who's writing these sentences? Who's doing this? They're just writing them and then sending them off. Yeah, that's, they they don't, they are not rereading this shit. (laughs) Or the other thing is when people edit, I think they're not thinking about removing stuff. They're just thinking about making the stuff that's there flow to the best of their ability. Well, you know what they're really thinking about is just like lawsuits and it, not it, getting sued. Yeah, yeah. it's it, they're 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 putting this out there as a legal business document thing. You still, know? still, cl- sh- concision and clarity are going to help you avoid that stuff. Yeah, and this it's, it's the ambiguity and the the I don't know. Just what was this all about? That's what raises problems. I the end of this sentence is so terrible. Let me reread that sentence. This pilot program will allow you to store your powered off phone in a lockable case so that you can bring your cell phone into the test center, comma, mm. but cannot access it until the end of your test day. Nope. What? That should be two sentences. It should be. And <laughs> ironically, because the second clause doesn't have a subject, it shouldn't have a comma <laughs> That's just such garbage. Um, Hey, do you listen to Revisionist History, the Malcolm Gladwell podcast? No. Oh, uh, so season three of it just came out and there's an episode. It's either, I think it might be the first episode actually, which um, features an, a copy editor from the New York Times and she is commenting on some provisions of the Constitution, uh, namely about the divisibility of states. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. I think our listeners would like it a lot. I know you'd like it, hmm. Ben. It's about you yeah. know, grammar and punctuation and uh, yeah. the Constitution. So um, please listen to that. And I, I would also throw in there that if you listen to that and you, you're not interested, mm. um, yeah. that's a pretty good sign that you are not going to be happy as a lawyer or in law school. It's, it's it is, funny you say that. Yeah. Cause I had the same thought. I was like, that's it. That's what lawyers do is they debate <laughs> the legal implications of text. Yeah. That grammar. is what, yeah, and, that is exactly what lawyering is. So, uh, it's revisionist history. It's Malcolm Gladwell's podcast. And, um, I think it's the first episode of season three. It's all okay. about commas and semicolons. Cool. <laughs> and the Constitution. Yeah, I think you'll like it. Anyway, that sentence sucks. Um, okay. If you decide to bring your cell phone and participate in the pilot, you may experience a delay when you check into the testing room. Additionally, this pilot pertains to cell phones only. 
other electronic devices are still strictly prohibited at the test center and, if found, will result in a dismissal and possibly a cancellation of your score. That's so funny that they qualified the cancellation but not the dismissal. I know. I would think that a dismissal automatically is a cancellation. They can't well, just like, give you a zero. <laughs> you if there's a possibility, the <laughs> they just give you a really low score. Or they find uh, out after the test is over, and then they dismiss you, but they let you keep your score. I, that makes no sense. And, well, the whole thing, and the fact that there's this possibility, like maybe they won't cancel it because they feel like extenuating circumstances justified your accidentally showing up with some other electronic device. So they're like, well, your score might be canceled, but dismissal, nope, that's set in stone. That's 100%. Yeah, you will be dismissed. (laughs) Okay. This pilot program is available only for the June 2018 LSAT administration and only at specific centers. Whoa, wait, wait, wait. There's more centers now. It was none prohibited at all. Yeah. And just this person's. Right. Now there are supposedly others. Yes. This email. It, it sucks. Yeah. Not surprising. Um, but mm-hmm. so this was, yeah, we should just make it very clear to the listeners that this is a pilot program only at certain test centers. If you didn't get this email, don't bring your cell phone to the testing center. <laughs> um, unless, unless you're planning to bring it, you know, secretly, secretly, which, yeah, we've talked about that before. You probably could pull that off. Um, this is uh, at the University of San Francisco Testing Center, um, and it's only for the June 2018 LSAT. So, yeah, just check your email. If you got this email, then you're good, and if not, then not. If you choose to test at another center, this option may not be available. After we evaluate this initiative, we may choose to implement it nationwide, but bold, do not bring your cell phone to any future LSAT administrations and expect a storage option. Finally, we su- we strongly suggest that you read through the FAQs and familiarize yourself with the procedure for this pilot program and the consequences if you are non-compliant. The FAQs are located here. Oh, there's a link there. I didn't click the link. As always, we are here to help make your testing experience as comfortable as possible. As always? Yeah, right. <laughs> what a fucking lie that is. Oh, my God. You can reach us at a phone number and an email address. Okay. So, anyway, um, hey, you know what? It's a step in the right direction, so, sort of. It's hilarious that it's a lockable. <laughs> I just imagine them rolling up with, like, a safe or something. Yeah. Wait. You know what? I actually want to click this link now because... Oh, don't go there. It's going to be a whole long page of 6,000 words. It's going to be awful. Or, oh, well, yeah. Look, oh, I just wait, wanted to make many, sure that it was... Half, it's one and a half pages. Yeah. I want So the LSAC is going to provide a case to each of these people. Wait, what? Yes. What, what happens if I don't use an LSAC-provided case? Your phone must be powered off and locked in an LSAC-provided case, or else you will be dismissed from the test center and wait, your wait, score wait. will be canceled. They don't have one big case? No, listen. <laughs> what, what if I forgot that my phone was in my pocket? Answer. If you are found with a cell phone in your possession outside of an LSAC-provided case, you will be dismissed and your score will be canceled. So unlike the, uh, the uh, maybe in the email um, here on the FAQ, you, you clearly are going to get your shit fucked up if you... Um, no, here's, here's the, the answer to that other question. 
mm-hmm. where will LSAC store my phone? Your phone must be powered off, then stored in the locked LSAC provided case. During the test, you will store the locked case under your seat with your Ziploc bag. The case can only be unlocked at the end of your test once you leave the testing area. When will I have my phone placed in the locked case? LSAC will have a separate area for handling cell phone storage prior to check-in. Since this may delay your check-in, please allow extra time if you plan on using this service. Hmm. I guess they just, they're trying to avoid taking responsibility for your phone. What if my phone rings or vibrates in the middle of the test? The proctor will escort you out of the room, unlock the case, and ask you to power off your phone. You will also receive a notice of test center violation for causing a disturbance, but you will be allowed to continue your LSAT. Mm. However, any testing time lost in this process will not be replaced. Well, that's stupid. That should have zero tolerance for that. Yeah. If your phone rings, they should go <laughs> ahead and kick you out. That's just, come on. <laughs> you, couldn't, you couldn't figure out how to turn it on? They're actually going to let you open the case, power off the phone, and go back in. That makes me want to do it on purpose. You know what? I actually, that's, that, somebody should do that. I want to go to USF, take the test, and have my phone ring in the middle of the test with like a super funny ringtone. <laughs> and then just be like, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I guess you Shucks. have to help me unlock the case and power it off now. Hurry, hurry. I got to get back. <laughs> oh, but I already finished the section, so don't worry about it. <laughs> I have plenty of time. I'm not worried about it. Um, wow. Okay. That's amazing. Okay. Anyway, that's always amusing. I thought that was going to be like a 30-second thing, and we end up talking about it for 10 minutes. Um <sighs> That's like all emails. That's hilarious. Okay, want to move on to the uh, next one? You got it. Hey, guys, I heard your call out for schools with full scholarship offers. My LSAT score on record is in the low 150s. Uh, We later clarified that's a 152. But apparently, I already have a full ride at Golden Gate. Okay, This student is taking it again in June, has a 152 and a 3.0. Dear Abigail, this is the... Email from the Office of Law Admissions at Golden Gate. Dear Abigail, oh, I hope we could read her name. Anyways, your family and friends must be so proud of you. Because of your very competitive LSAT score, 152, and your college GPA, 3.0, your tuition will be waived while attending Golden Gate University School of Law for the whole three years of your studies. Exclamation point. Sorry, that's the second exclamation point, by the way. They're excited for Abigail. Oh my gosh, there's there's like three, four more. Yeah. Golden Gate Law offers small size classes and personalized attention from your professors while studying in downtown San Francisco. You will network with the greatest professionals in the world and of course, enjoy the good weather. Exclamation point. Based on your credentials provided by LSAC, you are guaranteed to be awarded our new, capitalized, presidential scholarship as long as you apply by June 3rd. Oops, it's June 5th. And you are admitted to the school. Besi- Wait. She still has to it? apply. You know, I mean, they, <laughs> <laughs> she hasn't even applied. So they're just saying, hey, based on your numbers, you're going to get this presidential scholarship if we admit you. Yeah. Yeah. Besides receiving this exclusive award, the scholarship is worth more than $145,000. 
according to the value we've placed on our edu- own education, <laughs> yeah. and allows you to begin your career without those massive student loans hanging over you, exclamation point. The presidential scholarship is guaranteed so long as you are enrolled in the JD program. Wow. Plus, as a presidential scholar, you are pre-admitted to our award-winning honors lawyering program. Jeez Louise. Your application fee has already been waived, and we encourage you to apply to Golden Gate soon. Our office is here to answer any questions you might have about GGU Law! Exclamation <laughs> point. Why do they need ex- Why do they need an exclamation point for that one? Yeah, they're salespeople. They're they're Our excited. That's how here. they do it. Yeah, we are here for you, <laughs> just like the LSAC. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is you know all joking aside. Um, this is a good offer. Because Golden Gate for a long time has had this sort of gotcha scholarship where they give you a full ride and then they take it away from you mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. when you don't keep up with 3.0. Okay. But yeah. which, you know, that's a gotcha. Know, that's a gotcha because the average GPA is curved around a 2.7. And so they would take away like 70% of all the scholarships. If you look at their 509, you'll see that they take away lots and lots of these scholarships, but it sounds like this is a new thing. I would want to clarify, but it says you're guaranteed as long as you are still enrolled at the school. So Mm -hmm. this is a very attractive offer and this, you know, sorry, um, Abigail, but your credentials of 3.0 and 152, uh, those are impressive, apparently, to Golden Gate, but those are not impressive to most other law schools. But still, do you know what? Do you know what Golden Gate is ranked? Sorry, unranked, unranked. Yeah, okay. I mean they're they're mm-hmm. way down there. But I I've I've had dozens of my alumni go to Golden Gate over the years. It's a regional law school that creates actual lawyers. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you don't. Get, that's very difficult to go to Golden Gate. And make one hundred and ninety thousand dollars a year as a first year associate in a yeah. big law firm. That doesn't really happen very often. But if you want to go work in the public defender's office, you know, even that, of course, you're going to have to hustle while you're in school. But you're going to have to hustle while you're in school, no matter where you go. And <clears throat> I, I have plenty of graduates from my graduates from my alumni from my LSAT classes. I have sent plenty of people to Golden Gate on full rides who have ended up being successful lawyers. So now I've also sent people to Golden Gate who then later couldn't pass the bar exam. Yeah. When you have a 3.0 and a 152 LSAT, if 152 LSAT is really the best you could achieve and your 3.0 college GPA, you know, means something, well, the California bar is hard. And so your, you know, your chances of passing the California bar, it's, it's far from certain. Yeah. But this scholarship sounds like it's guaranteed for all three years, it, you know, and that's a good deal. You, I could see people using this offer to, to become a successful lawyer. Yeah. If, yeah. If you're planning to do something other than big law, just work as a regular attorney, if you will. Then you go here, it's free, and you graduate, and you just start working. You don't have to pay off student loan debt and all that stuff. And by the way, a 3.0 and a 152 is just not a big law lawyer anyway. Nope. 
I mean, it, now it's possible. Of course, people are going to write in hate mail like, well, I, you know, it's, of course it's possible. Yeah, yeah, it's possible. It's not likely at all. It, you know, with a 152, you're going to have a hard time getting into the type of law school that has really solid placement in big law. Yep. And even if you do squeak into a school that has big law opportunities or, you know, that has a significant amount of big law opportunities, you're, you're, you're not likely to compete very well at law school. So you're not likely to get those opportunities anyway. Yeah. So being realistic, I, I like this offer a lot. I, I feel like we add this to our list of, you know, this isn't a matrix published on golden gates website where they're just guaranteeing you the scholarship. Mm -hmm. But I would put this, this is, this is on our growing list of schools that are offering people guaranteed full rides. Well, even if it's not on their website, given the fact that she got this email, I'm sure if anyone with her credentials or higher emailed golden gate and said, I'm interested I've heard of this presidential scholarship. Mm -hmm. They would say, yes, no problem. And they'll waive your application fee. Yeah. You'll still have to get ripped off for $45 from the LSAC Mm -hmm. (laughs) just to apply to that school. Yeah. But they'll waive your application fee and they're, you know, they're going to admit you if you write a reasonable personal statement. And if you have, can get two people to to vouch for you (laughs) with letters of recommendation. I mean, if you jump through all their hoops on the application. Yeah. Yeah. This is looking to me like 150 anything and three point anything. And you probably can get this president's scholarship at Golden Gate. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking about this scholarship from their perspective, because it seems like, Oh, they're giving away so much money. Um, but the reality is that what is their marginal cost per student, right? The reality is their marginal cost per student is probably a couple grand for oh, the yeah. whole three years. Yeah, and they have to keep they have to keep the school alive, you know. They mm-hmm. because yeah, they unfortunately are admitting and charging full price to many people who have very very limited chances of ever practicing law. Yeah. So that, you know, we can talk about whether that's unconscionable and or fraudulent, but they're not committing a fraud on you if they don't charge you any tuition. Yeah. Well, I was thinking if you have a class of like 200, right? I don't know what their class size is, but I would bump it up to 400. I would offer this presidential scholarship to 200 of them and pack your class with these people who have higher credentials and raise your standing as a school. Yeah. Cause the cost per the per student for those higher students isn't really that much money. You're just putting another chair in a classroom. That's not going to cost you hardly anything. So yeah. Anyways, it makes sense, but it also makes sense why you shouldn't pay or at least very much unless it's a great school. We're not saying that this is the school that everyone should go to. What we're saying is, if this is the best full ride you can get, that's probably what you should take. Yeah. If you can get a better full ride at a better school, then you should probably take that. But this option is on the table for many applicants. That's pretty pedestrian, 150 something and three point something, you know? And so there it is. Would you like to go to law school for free in San Francisco? There it is. 
And Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I get it. You want to go to a better school, but how much is that really worth? And if you're a 160 and a 3.5, you can get a better full ride from some other better school. Yeah. So I, I, I just want to be really clear that I think the proposition I'm making is there is a school for you somewhere that will offer you a full ride. You should take the best full ride you can get. Yeah, and if you're just planning to do pedestrian legal work anyway, then you just need a JD and to pass the bar. That's all you need. Yeah, you and don't the, need a great school. Right, and the school is not really causally related to passing the bar. Nope. It's it, there's selection bias on that really skew the bar passage results. So of course the bar passage at golden gate is miserable, but that's because they have very low admission standards as evidenced by the fact that they're going to give a full ride to somebody with a 152 and a Mm 3.0. I mean, yeah, your colleagues are going to be failing the bar, you know, very at a very high rate. Your colleagues are going to be failing the bar when you go to golden gate. But if you're there on a full ride, well, you're, you're, you're going to be the one that has the better chance of passing the bar because you're more talented to begin with. Mm-hmm. All right. Moving on. Yeah. So this next email, the subject says, waitlist king. Uh, Hi, Nathan. Thanks for helping me improve my LSAT score from a 147 to a 170. My Dude, 170. Nice yeah, I mean, shit, I don't do anything. You took it for him, right? Is that right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, no, you know, it's the students put in all the work. This shit makes perfect sense to me, and I'm happy to explain it a million times until it makes sense to them as well. But the students are talented, they're smart, they're good readers, and they work their asses off, and that's how they improve. I mean, that's it's. <laughs> I, I wish I could take credit, but I, I cannot. Uh, yeah, my 170 LSAT score combined with my 4.0 GPA has made me the waitlist king. I am on the waitlist at Harvard, Stanford, Chicago, and Columbia. I wanted to express my dismay in our top law schools. I have found grammatical errors on Harvard's website, Yale's website, and now Stanford's waitlist letter. Yes, I put the comma outside of my quotation mark on purpose. Uh, because that's what they do in their letter. I am starting to question the value of these top schools. They would surely reject someone making similar errors on admissions materials, unless, of course, they were an underrepresented minority like most of the admissions deans. Whoa. (laughs) Whoops. Where did that come from? I don't know, but that you got to chill out there, dude. I, um, I forget what the name of the student is, but now I'm glad I don't know because um, easy with the racist bombs there. That's a <clears throat> unnecessary anger. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you just scored a 170 on the LSAT and now you feel like discriminated against. Um, no, <laughs> relax. It's all going to work out fine for you. You're going to get into one or more of Harvard, Stanford, Chicago, all those schools, and you're, you're, you're just fine. Um, anyway, there is a photograph attached here of the letter from Stanford Law School, the letter of admissions. 
mm-hmm. and it has a um, a comma outside of quotation marks, which is yeah clearly a mistake. As mistakes go, that's not the worst mistake in the world. No. And the rest of this email, well, <laughs> it's using some language that I wouldn't really use, but pretty long sentences too, and, and big words too. This disposition, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> just read this. <laughs> okay, hold on. Maybe now we have to read this. So here's what the here's what it sounds like when um, Stanford puts you on their wait list. Ready? As you know, Stanford Law School's enrollment is limited to approximately 180 students per class, and each year we receive applications from a far greater number of well qualified applicants. Because of our commitment to the instructional importance of maintaining small classes, wait, what? They're committed to the importance. That's not right. We could edit that. They're committed because of the importance. Yeah, they're not. You're not committed to the instructional importance. Jesus Christ! To the importance of that. (laughs) What the fuck? What is going on? What is happening, Ben? I don't know. Please don't become like these people. Send us your personal statement. Yeah, this is horrible. Well, these are people working in the admissions office. You know, there's they're salespeople working in the admissions office. They're not like brilliant lawyers. Um, but they all almost all have JDs. They no? do probably have JDs, but I mean that shows you the value of a JD these days. Mm. I mean, okay. Anyway, because of our commitment to the instructional importance of maintaining small classes, we are extremely conservative in the number of those we admit. Although we are not able to accept you at the present time, the committee regards your qualifications as especially high. Oh my, stop. As a result, it has placed your name on a wait list, in quotation marks, wait list, (laughs) which I don't know why that even needs quotation marks to begin with. It's a fucking wait list. You know, kind of like a wait list, but not really a wait list. We have a special name for it. We call it a wait list. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, okay. And then there's where the comma is outside of those quotation marks. It's almost like the quotation marks were added afterward or something. I don't know. Okay. It it has placed, wait, it, oh, the committee, it, that's the, as a result, it, the committee has placed your Mm -hmm. name on a quote wait list from which additional admissions may be made as we make our way through the admissions season. Oh my God. Okay. Now check this out. This disposition obviously confronts you with uncertainty, a result we regret. <laughs> They're talking like Yoda now. The, the, couldn't the subject of that sentence be we? Yeah. It could be we regret to place you in this position of uncertainty. We regret <laughs> the uncertainty this, this brings you. Any other thing than this disposition obviously confronts you with uncertainty? How about how about um, just dropping it? <laughs> just cut the whole sentence. They're like, who cares about any of this? Yeah, well, it's, Hi, they're trying to student, apologize. We're impressed by you, and we've put you on our wait list. If you want to get off of it, contact us and let us know why we should. It should just Goodbye. say <laughs> the whole letter. You should open it up, and it should just say wait list. That's it. Just <laughs> in <laughs> quotes. Yeah, in quotation marks. <laughs> Waitlist, <laughs> or better yet, yeah, I like that. You could also, you've been waitlisted. <laughs> you've been, you've been waitlisted. 
quotes. You've been waitlisted, fool. <laughs> um, okay, anyway. This disposition, that's the subject of that sentence. Oh. Jesus, okay. Each year, some applicants on the waitlist, for any number of reasons, wish to make firm plans and hence prefer to have their names removed from the waitlist. Others oh. find it practicable to keep their alternative plans tentative and wish to have their names retained on the waitlist. You know, they're, they're clearly yield fishing here, right? They're yeah. all they're doing. They're putting everyone they admit on the waitlist or almost everyone they admit on the waitlist. And they're trying to see if you will take your name off the waitlist because you're actually going to go somewhere else. That's it. They want to see if you will remove yourself from consideration. Um, Stanford Law School makes a conscientious effort to inform every applicant as promptly as possible exactly what her or his admission status is. <laughs> we the whole letter is shit, but we got the her and his thing down. So. <laughs> that, that is hanging at the end of that sentence. Oh, God. Okay. Two spaces there. Is it two spaces throughout? It looks like it's two spaces throughout. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We will be aided in affording such treatment to others on the wait list if you will give us a considered response to the question whether you wish to remain on the list. <laughs> Please tell us yes or no. Please yeah. tell us if you would like to remain on the list. You've been waitlisted, foo. What do you want to do? <laughs> do you like us? Circle Y or N. Uh. If you believe that there is a substantial possibility you might choose to attend Stanford, should we be able to accept your application in the weeks or months ahead, comma, we As opposed hope to in the past. Yeah. We hope you will so indicate on the enclosed form semicolon. Oh my gosh. And if you believe that there is, wait, you don't put semicolon and. Oh, oh no. You just got your semicolon privileges revoked. Oh. Um, okay. Semicolon and. If you believe that there is little likelihood that you will choose to attend, please respond to that effect. To that effect. Oh my gosh. So wait, look at the look at the bottom of this letter, right? They have their little their little words, their little logos, mottos. It says inspire, period, innovate, lead. They should add one here, like um ob, obs, wait, I can't say the word now. Obfuscus what the heck? Anyways, I'm trying to say Yeah, for some reason I can't say it. I got some disability, dude. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but if I could go back, I'd apply for accommodations. <laughs> Anyways, um, confuse. They need to add that to their list. Oh, yeah. I like obfuscate because that word by itself is already obfuscating. <laughs> you know, yeah. making people stumble over it for no I reason. I can't even say it. Yeah. But this, this entire email should say, hey, we put you on the wait list. Let us know if you want us to keep you on it or, or not. Yeah. Then it just goes on and on. That last paragraph, that last sentence. 
I'm going to reread that last sentence. If you believe that there is a substantial possibility you might choose to attend Stanford, should we be able to accept your application in the weeks or months ahead, comma, we hope you will so indicate on the enclosed form, semicolon, and if you believe that there is little likelihood that you will choose to attend, comma, please respond to that effect. Mm. That all means let us know one way or the other. Please. I bet they get a 100% response rate on these letters. Um, why, why do you say that? Yeah. Are you being sarcastic? Yeah. Sarcasm. Yeah. yeah. Like, how many people just like, they, Oh, no one responded. I, I don't understand. I guess they're not interested. You know what it should be? It should be a test. Like one of those, <clears throat> have your, did your teachers in school ever give you that? Like, here's the instructor. Here's, here's a, okay, we're going to do a, an assignment now and the, follow the instructions very carefully. And then the mm. first instruction is, read all of these instructions before you begin working. Mm-hmm. And then number two tells you to do things. Three tells you to do things. Four tells you to do things all the way down to the end. And then <clears throat> number 11 out of 14 is like, you only need to do items one, six and 12 on this list. Yeah. Yeah. You only have to do two, <laughs> the first two questions of the test or something. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> and teachers think that this is super clever and the, the lesson is to, you know, get students to actually follow directions. Obviously that's never going to work because people don't like to read, but um, they could do that here buried in this last paragraph. It should be like, Oh, by the way, if you go to this one URL, we'll automatically admit you because yeah. <laughs> you actually read this fucking garbage email. So that's that. Mm-hmm. That's a very terrible email from Stanford law school. Sorry, Stanford. <laughs> God. <laughs> I I hold Stanford in the highest esteem, by the way, Stanford Law School. I mean, my alumni that I have sent to Stanford are amazing people and incredibly smart and incredibly hardworking and very generous and just earnest and amazing (laughs) folks. So uh, the admissions office here is uh, making Stanford look bad, but the students make Stanford look very, very good. Okay. I agree. Cool. So the next one is from Brian. Dear Wayne and Garth. Cool. Please feel free to use my first name on the podcast. Have you have either of you have either or both of you ever disagreed with the official LSAC answer for an LSAC question? Dude, I would have to say no. I, I don't like some answers, but they're always better than the other four. I yeah. don't think I've ever disagreed with that idea. I would go a step further. I would say yes, I have disagreed with the official LSAC answer. And every single time I have realized later that I was wrong. Mm. I have sent you emails, Ben, asking you, what the fuck is going on with this question? This mm-hmm. doesn't seem right. And then you email me back and like in 15 seconds, I'm like, oh, oh yeah. 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 <laughs> I have that experience. I have, I used to have that experience far more frequently earlier in my career. And now I realize that the test makes perfect sense. I would say sometimes too, when you're debating between two answer choices and you feel like the correct answer is correct for some minute nuance, that could be why it's correct. But a lot of times you're missing something so much bigger. Like they're talking about cars and they should be talking about red cars. And now when you think about it in that light, the whole thing falls apart. The wrong answers. Yeah. It just end up being way wrong Mm -hmm. for sure. And I get it that like on a strengthened question, sometimes the correct answer will not be super awesome strengthener. 
Yeah. But the, you, the four other answers are just impossible to pick. And the one answer that, you know, it might not make you win your case. You know what it frequently is, I think, when people really don't understand it? Mm-hmm. The correct answer, it can just be a necessary assumption. Mm-hmm. Where sure. it's like, hey, these other four answers are terrible. Like, they don't help mm-hmm. the argument at all, or they even weaken the argument, or, you know, just like, we can't pick any of these four. Yeah. This answer, it doesn't look on its surface to be that awesome, but consider what would happen if it were false. Yeah. And then you realize, oh shit, it's a necessary assumption, which doesn't make us win, but mm-hmm. uh, it protects us against attack and thereby strengthens the argument. Yeah. Um, just by kind of playing defense. So, um, yeah, my answer is I can't think of a single question where I don't agree with the right answer. And um, if you put 10 LSAT experts in the world, in, in the room, um, we would have 90% accuracy on every question, even, even the hardest, weirdest, whatever questions you think are broken and fucked up, we would have at least 90%. Yeah. And, and a good reason why we, we would get it right. We would be able to figure it out. We would be able to understand it. We might be like, Oh yeah, that one's a little quirky and weird, but well, we can't pick any of these four answers mm-hmm. and uh, I can at least make a case for this answer. And so that's the answer. Did, did you ever see the letter that uh, LSAC wrote to Graham Blake about no, that one no. parallel reasoning question? It was pretty funny. So uh, I don't remember all the details, but I will say this because this one stuck out like a sore thumb. The question, it's a parallel reasoning question, and Graham Blake, who teaches LSAT in Canada, he wrote in, uh, a letter to LSAT because he didn't like the correct answer. He didn't feel like it was uh, parallel enough, even though the correct answer just has to be the most parallel. He understood that, of course, but he just said it's just so off. It has a false contrapositive or something that the original doesn't that he didn't like yeah. that they had chosen that to be the correct answer. Anyways, the it's one of those questions that has a, you know, a speaker. So the speaker was a journalist in this case. So a journalist was making this argument and LSAC's response to Graham was two pages, single spaced, <laughs> um, or single line or whatever. And, um, at the very end of the two pages, it gave basically this argument of like, you know, this is the best of the five answer choices. And that's really where they should have left it. They should have explained it and then left it at that. But for whatever reason, they decided to, um, talk about the fact that the person making the argument was a journalist and therefore the principal, I quote you dead serious because I remember this, even though I don't have it in front of me, the principle of charity indicates that we should give the benefit of the doubt to the person making the argument since a journalist is unlikely to give misleading information in the context of this argument or something. I was huh? like, what? The person making the argument has nothing to do with its validity. <laughs> also, the principle of charity. Boy, you want to talk about something that I have never talked about in any never of my talked LSAC about, never classes heard of. ever. Yeah. yeah. Since I've when only... is there a principle of charity? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, it's a, a thing in logic. I was like, uh, I don't know. So anyways, sometimes I get that out and I read it in class and people get frustrated because they're like, how are we supposed to take the speaker into account, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, don't. I don't know who wrote this. It's not reflective of the test. 
just ignore it. But anyways, good times. <sighs> it's a thing in logic, the principle of charity. Supposedly, the way they present it in that letter. Yeah, it's like, in argumentation, there, when we rely, in quotes, on the principle of charity, given the notion that Blah, 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 blah. And it was just like... That seems like a... If if what they mean is we have to grant the premises of an argument and that we have to interpret those premises in common sense ways, you know, I mean, the instructions for the LSAT say you shouldn't interpret things in bizarre ways, right? Yeah, sure. That, that mm-hmm. you, should, you should interpret them, or it says you should not interpret them in ways that would be counter to common sense or something like that. I forget what the exact instruction is, but if that's the principle of charity that we grant our opponents premises and we, you know, we, we interpret them in ways that actually make sense, then okay. But that doesn't have anything to do with who's speaking. That could have said, um, it, it could have said advertisement or it could have said, um, you know, astrologer and you, you still have to give it the same respect, right? <laughs> yeah. So wait, hold on. There, there's, you're touching on some of this. I found the letter. I okay. got to read this to you. Okay. So okay. it says, um, he basically argues that the flaw, the parallel flaw was different from the original because the original argument makes, relies on a false contrapositive. Right. And the correct answer does not. Okay. And so they rebut that or they say it's not a big deal. Anyways, I don't know why they say it's not a big deal, but it says, however, the journal's argument cannot be adequately analyzed as simply a deductive argument. It is an example of a reasonable, informal, non deductive argument that draws a conclusion about the probability of an outcome based largely on probabilistic reasoning. In analyzing this argument, there are certain features that should be taken note of. First, the argument is made by a journalist. Jesus Christ. Uh, this, this, is L, this is on lsec.org uh, letterhead. In the context of journalism, it is a reasonable application of the, quote, principle of charity in argument interpretation to presume that the information provided by the journalist constitutes a relatively complete picture of the relevant facts. <laughs> a relatively okay. complete picture. That was his issue is that it was incomplete because you don't know what happens in the absence of a certain event, even if you know what happens in the presence of that event. I see. That's a false contrapositive. Right, 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 right. yeah. I see. While there might be other conditions under which the strike could be averted, the journalist apparently does not think them important or likely enough to mention. The argument is not about them. So that's the LSAC, at least in this letter, dismissing the relevance of a false contrapositive. Like you said earlier... The correct response was, well, what else are you going to pick? Yeah. What else are you going to pick? You have to pick the right answer. You can't pick a wrong answer. So even if you don't like this one, surely it's better than these other four garbage answers. Yeah. Right? And I don't remember that exact question or whatever, but like we would have gotten it right, right? I mean, Graham yeah. probably got it right. Graham's just oh, like, he got well, it right. this is yeah. stupid, but that's got to be the answer, right? But stupid... But yeah. Yep. So, so <clears throat> back to th- our- this is the this is the last two sentences of the letter. It says oh. no other response exhibits a pattern of reasoning as similar to that exhibited in the journalist argument. Thus, D is the best answer. End of story. That's yeah. all they needed to say. Yeah, it's the best answer. <laughs> what else are you going to pick? I yeah. say that a lot when people want to quibble with answer choices. I'm just like, well, 
okay, granted, valid. I hear you. What else are you going to pick? Because mm-hmm. um, the other four are clearly worse. Yep. Um, yeah. So, I mean, to go back to our correspondence main question here, mm-hmm. we do not think other answers are better. I, I, there's not a single question where I think another answer is better than the credited answer. Yeah. Uh, Brian continues, I'm a 40-year-old physician. Whoa, 40-year-old physician who takes LSAT sections for fun, much like a grandmother does Sunday crossword puzzles. Okay. I didn't know Sunday crossword puzzles were a grandmother thing. I never miss more than two LR questions in a strictly timed section, and I usually miss none. I understand the material. I predict consistently the correct answer before looking to the choices. Sometimes, though, as you've acknowledged on the podcast, the correct answer is objectively flawed. We justify this as being the best answer, but a flawed answer is imperfect, if not incorrect. We're burdened with selecting which answer is the least incorrect or shitty, as Nathan would say. So to restate the question, has there ever been a time when either of you found another answer to be at most equally shitty as the correct answer? Nope, nope. It's always worse. And if you really are like splitting hairs, you might want to look more deeply. There's probably something that you're missing um, for most of these. Yeah. Ask, ask somebody else. Cause I mean, there, there's even times where I'll ask my best students in class, like, Hey, what's going on? Why, why isn't that the answer? What, you know, what is it about this that makes it conclusively wrong? And they'll just say, Oh, well it says this. And I go, Oh yeah. Yeah. Totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 You probably just need another eye, another pair of eyes, Brian, on, uh, any of those questions where you're not sure. Uh, Brian continues. Thanks for the reply and for the company on my 10 hour per week commutes. Brian, you are, you are into the LSAT. Apparently you found this podcast and you're a physician who takes LSAT sections for fun. That is random. It's quite lawyerly. Yeah. Maybe you went uh, into the wrong profession. (laughs) No, please, please keep doing what you're doing. (laughs) Actually helping people. Please, please keep doing that. Cool. Thanks, Brian. Um, <clears throat> subject. LSAT practice problems? Question mark. Hi, Ben and Nathan. Ooh. My name is Elizabeth. I'm a relatively new listener in Atlanta, and I'm prepping for the upcoming July LSAT. Two of my friends recommended the podcast, and it's been great listening so far. I also apologize if y'all have addressed my question at some point in the show. I'm still on the earlier episodes, but here it goes. I am currently in a course for the June LSAT, but I am not confident I am ready for June, and I've already switched my test date to July. I am committed to getting a 170+, plus, and I will be upset if I don't reach that goal. My scores so far in order have been 166, 165, 171, 169, 161. I know the last test is probably an anomaly, but I just don't feel that I confidently have a hold on all the material at this point, and I'm still struggling with timing on some sections. All that considered, I'm pretty happy with my decision to defer, but once the date of the June LSAT hits, I will either lose access to my online practice problems, or I will have to pay a pretty steep price to extend my online access. Access. I have all the PTs, so I'm not sure it's worth it to pay for continued access, but it'd be nice to be able to hone in on specific question types for extra review, especially in LR. Do you guys have any suggestions on how best to do this without a large price tag? Yeah. No hyphen on price tag. Yeah. By the way, this sounds like 
I'm just going to guess. This is test masters. I hear this all the time with test masters. They um, cut off your access as soon as class is over. Yeah. And then they charge you to gain access again. Yeah. Look, if you have all the practice tests, just sign up for my score tracker. Just go to strategyprep.com forward slash tracker. And um, you can start putting your test in there and seeing videos while Tons of they're that, yeah. still there. Yeah. yeah. Tons of explanations on Ben's score tracker. So, yeah. Do that. But they won't be there forever, by the way. So take advantage of it while you can. Yeah, take advantage while you can. Um, Additionally, I do have plans for how I want to study after my course ends. But if you guys have any suggestions, I would love to hear them. Thanks so much for the podcast. I really do feel like it makes the LSAT more accessible and doable. Best Elizabeth in Atlanta. Uh, I'm going to go to Atlanta again soon. I got to go visit my uh, <clears throat> my friends out there. So maybe cool. I'll have to do another little uh, thinking LSAT meetup while I'm there. Mm. Um, I wish Elizabeth would not have rescheduled. I wish she would have taken the June LSAT. Oh, yeah. With a 171 on record, it's already possible. Yeah. I, students are, I don't know how many times we we can keep saying it, but law schools only care about your highest score. And you, the upside is all that matters on your official attempts. And if you've already gotten a 171 and a 169 on a real practice test, then there's no reason you can't get 170 or higher on the actual thing. I've given you the my dart analogy, right? No, I can't wait. Oh, okay. Well, I was just imagining that if someone was at a bar, right? And someone else walked up to them and said, hey, look, uh, if you can hit the bullseye on that dartboard over there, I'll give you uh, I'll buy you a beer. I'll buy you a beer or give you $100,000. Wow. And they put a dart in front of you or they put three darts in front of you and they say, you just have to hit the bullseye. I don't care when. Would you rather take the three darts? Yeah. Or the one dart. Yeah. Of course you take the three darts because then you have a better chance of hitting that bullseye. You learn from your first attempt, your second attempt. Yeah. <laughs> and whatever. But in any case, who cares? If you get it your first attempt, you got it. But why would you throw away those other opportunities? And yet that's kind of what you're doing when that's you are exactly ready. what people do. Yeah. That's exactly what people it. do. There, and you could. I oh, so mine is has always been a baseball analogy. Same thing mm-hmm. though. Three strikes. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you what Elizabeth did here was she just chose not to. She just didn't even go up to the plate while the pitcher threw strike one. Yep. It's like one way or the other, it's going to be strike one because you didn't even swing. You didn't do anything. Strike one. Mm-hmm. Or not throwing one of the darts. Yeah, it's I don't know. It's because there's so much bad advice out there. People need to stop Googling and just finding random bad advice on the Internet. Law they just need only to go ca- YouTubing and <laughs> yeah, find right. us. <laughs> yeah, find us. Well, I mean, law schools only care about your highest score. So, Elizabeth, you should have taken the June LSAT. Um, that ship has now sailed, but that's fine. You know, whatever. But just going forward, people need to get ready, get prepared, and then once you're prepared and that's like within striking distance like a few points when mm-hmm. you're within a few points go ahead and take it mm-hmm. and then plan to take the next one and the next one after that if necessary yeah as far as um advice on how to study after the course ends i would recommend timed sections and review 
Yeah. Just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. There's 83 practice tests, about to be 84 practice tests. And there's, so there's lots of work to be done. And you get done with all 83 of those tests, you could start over from the beginning and do them again. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, 35 minutes on the clock, do a section, review your mistakes. That's it. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Elizabeth. Thank you. One more? One more. Hi, Ben and Nathan. If you read this on the podcast, you can call me Emily. I'm taking the June test, but understand that if you can't get back to me in time, thought I would try regardless. Hey, maybe we'll make it. Quick kudos to you both for the podcast and all you do. The information is great and y'all are hilarious. But the podcast is also light enough that it's perfect for staying in the LSAT mindset on a work commute, long run, etc. So thank you. You're welcome. Your free online classes were both great, and I laugh every time you tell a story about how students ask you for free stuff when you quite literally provide that online. Anyway, I have one test under my belt, February, coming out with a disappointing 164 after averaging 167 with a repeated high score of 172, a cold diagnostic of 152. Oh, you could have ended with your cold diagnostic and gotten to Golden Gate. (laughs) Yeah, go for free. I've worked my way through two levels of Seven Sage, which I'm sure you'll rip apart, and I honestly look forward to hearing your feedback on this specific course. Yeah, I don't know a lot about it. And I'm feeling like I hit a wall, have plateaued in my studying, and at some points have regressed. Sounds like you're putting too much weight on your scores. Um, I'll say. I was consistently getting minus zero on games, minus four on LR, and approximately seven to eight on reading comp. In this round of studying, I've been getting up to six wrong in LR sections and more like four or so on RC. That, what difference does that make? That's not that yeah, mu- that's, that's not, not much a, different. Not a huge difference. That's small sample, limited, limited, s- subtle changes in small samples <laughs> just could easily be noise. Emily continues, I work a full-time job and two part-time jobs. Whoa. So I fit in one to two time sections a day with review mm. plus an occasional additional section to drill a question type or the like. And I take a full test on Saturday. Yeah, you're doing too much. You're not How reviewing heck- deeply enough, Emily. Obviously. Yeah. Not with a full time job and two part time jobs. You do not have time to do one to two timed sections a day with review and additional other shit and a full length test on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> and not... write articles that are peer reviewed for. <laughs> yeah, not even. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, that's uh, what is that? Splitty? Yeah. Splitty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, this, Emily, you are you're doing too much. You're trying to do too much. You got to chill out. You got to get more quality out of your study time. Interspersed between actual studying is your podcast each week, along with some of Seven Sages' webinars and podcasts like Planet Money to stay engaged in, a, in difficult subject matter to prep for RC. <laughs> Holy smokes. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing you need to be doing for reading comprehension is doing LSAT, LSAT reading comprehension. That's it. Yeah, You do not well, need to listen to a podcast like Planet Money in order to get better at reading comp. No. Nope, no, 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 no. That's a totally different like skill set anyways. Yeah. Um, given the fact that you're scoring 
167 means that you're you're getting a decent chunk wrong, but not that many compared to most people. So I think you're in a much better position to review questions before you look up the right answer. If you're getting a lot of questions wrong, you just have to look up the answer, see what you got wrong, and review those. But uh, not look up the answer key. Well, I mean, redo the question, right? That's what you mean. Yeah, redo the redo the question before looking up the correct answer. Right, and review yeah. it thoroughly, and just figure out why you've made those mistakes. Yeah. Okay. You're so you should be spending spending your time like this. You. <laughs> Get home from your third job, apparently. Yeah. And you, if you are awake, you do a 35 minute section. And then when the timer is up, in your case, I would say, let's say you finish on question 22 of 25 questions. Well, okay. Your timer's up. You mark how far you got. I would take the time to finish those last three questions because you're fully capable of doing them. And then I would go back and I would look hard. Take a second look at any questions that you didn't feel great about your answer and see if you still agree with your answer choice. If you do, great. Put a little check next to it. If you don't, then change your answer and maybe you know, have a specific reason why. And then look up the correct answer, the answer key, and see how things went. How did they go when you were timed? How did they go after when you reviewed things before you looked up the right answers and learn about yourself. Sometimes people choose the right answer under a time scenario, and then when they go back, they change it to the wrong answer, and they go, oh, well, blah, blah, blah. Well, that means you don't understand the logic fully, or something about the reasoning is still tripping you up. So understand that, figure it out, and then turn on Netflix and call it a day. Yeah, relax. This She needs to relax. I Doing practice sections, I know you're kind of making a joke about her third job and all that, but people trying to do this stuff late at night after the full day of work mm-hmm. is it's very difficult. It is. You're just yeah. not, your brain is just not firing on all cylinders that late at night and after a full day. So consider, um, consider trying this in the morning instead before work. And Hey, if you're doing a full test on Saturday, okay, that's good. But now you've got a lot of reviewing that you've got to do. And, uh, yeah, I would just focus on the quality and more on the quality and less on the quantity. Mm-hmm. There's just no way she's thoroughly reviewing. She, there's no way she's really understanding the mistakes she's making. So she's going to continue making those mistakes. Yeah. And if there is any regression going on, it's coming from burnout and overstudying. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. That being said, I have a couple of questions and by a couple, I mean three, um, <laughs> Sorry, Emily. One, do you see any value in me purchasing the LSAT trainer at this point? I wasn't sure if the additional perspective would be helpful or confusing in my last few weeks. Wait, why not get Nathan's books? Got the LR Encyclopedia and the Games Playbook. I recommend both. Yeah, I. you got to decide who you want your gurus to be. I, I don't think getting a million different perspectives on this stuff is actually helpful. Mm-hmm. People get their their head is spinning because they've got so many different ways of thinking about this. Who's going to be your Sherma or whatever? Yeah, who 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 is it? Or and Sherpa or what? Sherpa? <laughs> Shawarma? It's almost lunchtime. I'm, I'm getting hungry. Um, <laughs> sensei? 
yeah, I I don't know. You got to pick. You got to pick a guru, and um, you know, Seven Sage and LSAT Trainer both recommend reading the question stem first on logical reasoning. We've talked about that a million times. We both think that that idea is garbage. So I would steer clear of those resources if I were you. Mm. Uh, your results may vary, and if that stuff is effective for you, then great. Um, but yeah, I, I never recommend either of those resources for, for anyone. Yeah. I, I can't trust if you, if you start talking about reading the question stem first on logical reasoning, then you and I have a very different philosophy about logical reasoning. Mm -hmm. So, and logical reasoning is half the test. And if you're going to have that fundamental of a difference in opinion on how to do half of the test, then we probably just are, we're in two different, we're in two different camps. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. That's yep. how, I mean, that's just how I feel about it. I logical reasoning for me, it makes perfect, perfect sense. It's so goddamn easy and it all makes perfect sense, but it would not make perfect sense if I was reading the question before I read the argument. Mm hmm. And that's what you're going to get from LSAT trainer. And I know that seven Sage teaches that stuff too. So if you're struggling a little bit with those resources, I mean, that might be why, I don't know. Yeah. We get emails all the time from people saying, Oh my God, thank you so much. Logical reasoning is now so much easier <laughs> since I stopped doing this. Mm -hmm. There's some later on the agenda. I, I, I don't, I don't even put all of them on the agenda cause it's like we're beating a dead horse, but I, there, we get those all the time. Yep. And so if you're struggling on LR, I mean, it's again, it's small samples, but her LR has gone down. She thinks, mm -hmm. um, well, I don't know. <laughs> if you're doing what we tell you and your score goes down, then you just got to keep doing what you're doing. If you're doing what <laughs> someone else is telling you <laughs> and your score goes down, yeah. then there's clearly a problem. No, I mean, uh, I, yeah, that, that, that is, that is funny. And maybe that is what we're saying, but I mean, it, no, if you, if you're doing what we're telling you to do and you've done that for two or three months and it's not working, then yeah, maybe you do need to jump ship. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe maybe the other way would work better for you. But I don't think you want to go out there and survey all of the LSAT gurus in the world and have everybody's different approach spinning through your head, mm -hmm. right? Especially mm -hmm. not like late in the game. I don't, I don't dig it. Yeah. Okay. Onward. Question two, are there things I could do or should be doing differently to prep for a repeat versus first time taking the test? Nope. You should be doing the exact same thing. There's nothing different. Yeah. I mean, you, you probably, I think many people can do less work for a retake. Sure. N not quite as intensive studying. Like maybe you don't need to do a section every day. Maybe you could do a section every other day keep it civilized, like, especially if your practice test scores were where you wanted them and then you just didn't quite get it done on the day of the test. In that case, you know, a very calm approach to the retake is probably fine. Yeah. It just depends on how much progress you want to make right. between you, your right. current scores and your retake. Yeah. Yeah. If you haven't reached your goal yet, on, on, like even on your practice test scores, you're just not there yet. Well then, yeah, you, you just need to keep doing more, keep doing what you're doing. I don't mean more per day. I just mean a longer, more days. Yeah. 
Three. All right, we'll make room for one more question. Three, along a similar vein, do you have any suggestions regarding test day strategy for a morning person taking the 1230 test? Do morning people get tired at 1230? Are you a morning person, Nathan? You don't seem like one. You know, I'm trying my best to become a morning person. Um, I've been waking up earlier and like today before we recorded the podcast, I went on my hike up to the observatory and mm. stuff. So I've been, I've been getting out, th- I've been going to bed earlier. I've been, be- I've been trying to become a morning person. You, you go on a hike every day Is that your workout or something? Dude, from, if you go out, you cross the street here in my neighborhood, you can see mm-hmm. the Griffith observatory up on the mountain. Okay. And cool. it's about an hour round trip for me to hike up there and back. Mm. Um, wow. It's a decent hike. How, how far is it? Do you know? Uh, it's not that far. I mean, it's pretty steep. It's, it's, um, I don't know. I could tell you, hold on a second. iPhone's been counting my steps so I can tell you, uh, it is 13,500 steps. Hmm. That's good, man. You got your daily steps in one hour. Oh wait, sorry. No, no, no. That's my average. Sorry. It's actually, it's just let just under 9,000 steps. Still, they recommend 10, 15, I think, thousand. Yeah, and I'll easily get in more than that later today when I go walking around in the hood. But no, it's it's part of the reason why I moved to this neighborhood because I just love the mountains so much, and Hmm. um, it's cooler in the morning. So I I've been trying to, especially you know, obviously in the summertime, try to get up there before it gets warm. No, to be fair, it's not a mountain; it's a hill. It is a. It's a California mountain. California mountain. Wait, California has big ass mountains, man. Yeah, in in some places like Yosemite and whatnot, but not yeah. not around town. Yeah, the the total elevation gain. I'm not sure what it is, but um, you know, you can call it a hill if you want. If you want to denigrate my my <laughs> my achievement that I'm proud of, <laughs> I have to. It's just part of our relationship. <laughs> it says that I have climbed 51 floors. So that's how big it is. It's 51 floors. Cool, man. Four and, four and a half miles uh, round trip and 51 floors worth of elevation change. So, uh, yeah, it's it's nothing. It's just I'm an old man, and it's enough to keep me, you know, not too decrepit. All right. So since we're talking about this, this, this morning before uh, the podcast, I ran – it was only about like two and a half, three miles. Uh-huh. But I stop every two minutes – and do push-ups? Do push-ups, which kind of, you know, it's something I started recently, and it it it's so easy to get in a rhythm, but then when you stop and it's like you change, it really makes it a lot more intense. So I would encourage you to do that. So Push-ups on I, my way yeah. up the mountain? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah get, so today I'll I did right 80. On that. Yeah, so you just need to do that. You I need will to get, beat that. I will get right on that, Ben. <laughs> There's a CrossFit gym that I walk past uh, every, t- every day when I'm going to, like, drink beer. And um, I am very happy not to be doing the CrossFit and to be going and drinking beer instead. <laughs> cool. So, yeah, any suggestions regarding test day strategy for a morning, morning person? My one suggestion would be take the test on the weekend at uh, 1 o'clock. That's about roughly when you'll be starting, maybe one thirty. Just start doing it when you're going to be doing it. If you want to feel what that's like, if you tend to get tired at that time, start practicing when you'll be practicing. Yeah, I think that's a fine suggestion. If you're taking the June or July LSAT, those are administered in the afternoon, so maybe take your practice tests in the afternoon. Um, 
I have to, because I'm a hyper skeptic, I have to also just say, Hey, why don't you get over it? Like it, it sounds a little bit to me like making excuses for not scoring where you want to score. Um, lawyers work all day, every day. <laughs> so if you're a morning person or if you're an evening person, if you're a lawyer, you will be working all morning and all evening. Yeah. So get over it. You know, the, the people who have, it's just these excuses are essentially your fundamental understanding of the test is not that good. And you need to acknowledge that. I mean, you're getting better and she's gotten all the way up to 172 um, as a high score. And that's awful goddamn good. But that also means that there's 10 questions per test that she just doesn't understand. And um, so when she's struggling in her afternoon practices, it's like, well, the, the stuff you're struggling with is the stuff you don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. So continue to improve your understanding. And I think you will find that you'll have far fewer problems with things like fatigue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She goes on the 830 AM test was definitely more my style and I'm having some difficulties working out a pre-test routine with the expansive morning before a noonish start time. I don't understand these routines. You, you just <laughs> just do your life like you normally do your life and go go to the test. Just drive there and be good. We talked on the last episode about making mountains out of molehills. Yeah. Making mountains out of the Griffith Observatory when actually it's more of a hill. Yeah. Um, it seems like that's what people are doing here. They're, they're, you're, you're finding excuses. You're stressing yourself out about no reason, about, about nothing. Yeah. All right. Thank you. I look forward to hearing what grammatical errors I made your overall impression of my actual email. <laughs> well, fun. we could start with, <laughs> yeah, with a couple doesn't awkward. mean three. Mm -hmm. So we got that. Yeah. I would, would you, you would go back and fix that, right, Ben, when you're writing an email? If you said oh, a I couple would, things write, and you end up having it. three, yeah, you would always few. change that to few. Yeah, yeah. I would too. Um, let's see what else. There was another one that I saw. Oh, um, along a similar vein. Mm, yeah. I think it needs to be in a similar vein or it needs to be along similar lines. I don't know. That just bumped me a little bit along a similar vein. I'm not sure that's yeah. don't know that that's really, I don't know. It's unusual. And anyway, I prefer on that note or something like that. Yeah. Or just omit or just omit. Yeah. Anything else? She's going to be disappointed if we don't. Well, this sentence right here, I, I look forward <laughs> to hearing what grammatical areas I made. Far slash. Slash. <laughs> <laughs> Your overall impression of my act. Okay, I'm sorry, Emily. This is Emily, right? Yeah. Nothing personal here, but I feel like millennials use this forward slash thing all the time now instead of just your plain old and. I look forward to hearing what grammatical errors I made and your overall impression of my actual email. Like the slash is saving you all this time and effort. Yeah. That actual there is also just a, mm -hmm. a verbal tick. Yeah, as opposed to your other, your not your your fake email, <laughs> your your not actual email. Yeah, yeah. She just means to she means to say the same thing that she's already saying, which is, I look for. She's making a joke. I look forward to hearing you bust my balls about the grammar and punctuation. Yeah. There you go. 
Now, now she's satisfied. Maybe she put that in there on purpose like that to. You think give us. I don't get it. This is a joke. I mean, the yeah. whole sentence. I thought yeah. you meant this this additional part right here. No, no. Well, I mean, she could be. She could have made. She could have written that sentence, uh, especially poorly, just so that she would give us something to tee off on. Other because we do see students do that. They throw in extra commas and put the quotation mark in the wrong place and all that stuff, like as a joke. My problem is that so many students are doing that seriously that I'm having trouble distinguishing between those who are joking and those who aren't sometimes. You know, yeah, it's like, not. Why, a, why'd you write that? <laughs> it's not a good joke. It's, it's, a, everybody's doing it and y'all can stop doing that now. Um, yeah, because we will assume that you're doing it on accident sometimes. <laughs> Here, here's another one. She has a no space between 8.30 and a.m. And then she doesn't say 12.30 p.m. If you're going to say clarify a.m. and p.m., <laughs> We could keep going. And no comment after my style, right? Previously in the email, she used a plus sign for and. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> she has an aversion for a three-letter word. <laughs> she earlier in the email put LSAT mindset in quotation marks and capitalized mindset. Sorry. Here, while we're on it. Um, here's one more. So the word approximately, right? <laughs> Um, it's a long word, and she acknowledges it by giving us an abbreviated form of it, a prox, period. But the reality is that you should just never, ever, ever use the word approximately. You can always replace it with the five-letter word about, and it's so much cleaner. She could have omitted it there, too, because she just puts and approx 7-8 on RC. She could have just put and 7 to 8 on RC. 7 to 8, yeah. That's fine. We, we understand. Although if she ever got 9 wrong or 6 wrong, then we'd have a headache. Cause <laughs> <laughs> the principle of charity <laughs> makes me interpret 7 to 8 as, okay, I would allow you to sometimes miss 6 and sometimes miss 9. That's, that's also <laughs> – that would also be acceptable. I, I get it. <laughs> I get it that you're giving an approximate range. Yeah. Anyways, thanks, Emily. <laughs> no, Emily, the email was actually quite good. It was fine, actually. There was nothing wrong. Really, this I I had no really complaints. Mm-hmm. Um, although couple does not mean three, but yeah. other than that, <laughs> cool. Well, should we call it a day? Yeah, let's wrap it up. Alrighty, that was episode one forty three. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.